0: Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll update you on Pope Francis's recent trip to Abu Dhabi. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican.
1: Good afternoon from another sunny day in Rome, uh, Colleen, and just recovering from this Really historic trip to the Arabian Peninsula.
0: Right, you got back last night from the people flight, right?
1: Yeah, we we got back ahead of time.
0: Oh, good. This week, Pope Francis visited Abu Dhabi to meet with religious leaders at this big international conference called the Global Interreligious Meeting on Human Fraternity, which is aimed at combating religious extremism. Now, where the Pope chooses to visit will always be important. But what makes this trip different from, say, his trip to Panama that we talked about last episode, is that this is the first time a pope has visited the Arabian Peninsula. And by all accounts, it seems to have been a success.
1: I think it's difficult to convey the long-term consequences that could emerge from this visit.
0: We'll get into that later. But first, let's talk about why the pope accepted this invitation to meet with these religious leaders. First, Pope Francis wanted to promote the interreligious dialogue between Muslims and Christians. And he also wanted to encourage the Catholic minority in both the United Arab Emirates, where he visited, where Christians are fairly free to practice their religion, and the Christians in some of the surrounding countries, where there's less religious freedom. As we'll see later, the Pope also wanted to send a message to the world about the humanitarian crisis in Yemen. Let's talk about that interreligious dialogue part first. The Pope participated in a number of meetings and events to promote cooperation between Christians and Muslims. We don't have time to get into all of those, but there's one example that can really help us understand what's at play here. The Crown Prince of the United Arab Emirates gifted some land for the construction of a side-by-side church and mosque to commemorate the Pope's visit to the Emirates. And the Pope and the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, the leader of the world's Sunni Muslims, blessed the ground together.
1: Sunni Muslims make up 80% of the Muslims or more. In the world, so you had, in a way, the leader of the Catholic Church and one of the top authorities in the Muslim world, there, and the Pope and the Grand Imam. They blessed the foundation stones in their respective ways, and so I don't know how how long, but I suspect it will be pretty rapid. You will see these two standing side by side.
0: Yeah, Jerry, this um. This church and this mosque, you know, just looking at them as as kind of symbols right now, these will be around for a long time, right? I was wondering if you think that the cooperation that we saw during this meeting between uh, the Pope and between the leadership of the UAE, if you think that will last even through leadership changes both in the church and in UAE?
1: It's very clear that uh, the United Arab Emirates is one of the most, possibly most tolerant country in the, in the, in the Middle East. Uh, they have a minister for tolerance, but what, what tolerance doesn't exactly capture what is in the Arabic word, which more acceptance, respect for the other's differences, etc. But they have a minister for it, a ministry for it. And this meeting was held in what was declared the year of tolerance. and. From the beginning, the leadership of the United Arab Emirates, they have come from the Bedouin culture. And they, this kind of accepting of differences has been part of their culture. And I think, and most people think, that this is here to stay.
0: That kind of interreligious tolerance is especially important in a country where there is such a disparity between Muslims and Christians. Now, let's break this down because these numbers paint a really fascinating picture. There are about 10 million people living in the United Arab Emirates, but only a million and a half of them are citizens, and those citizens are primarily Muslim. The other 8 million people in the country are Christians who are migrant workers, and almost none of them were born in the Emirates, and they don't have citizenship. That's why, despite their numbers, they're considered a minority. There are eight times as many of them but they enjoy far less power and far fewer rights. And that brings us to the second reason the Pope visited the UAE, to encourage the Catholic minority. So like I said, most of the Catholics in the United Arab Emirates are part of this huge group of migrant workers in the country, and they come from India, the Philippines, Uganda, and other Asian and African countries. Despite their numbers, these workers face extremely difficult conditions in the Emirates. They aren't offered citizenship protections, which means that their immigration status is tied to their employers. And these employers have routinely subjected their workers to long hours, unfair pay, and a variety of abuses, especially for the many workers who are domestic workers. The UAE passed a law extending some labor protections for migrant workers in 2017, but they have a long way to go. During the Pope's address to the Interreligious Meeting on Human Fraternity, He advocated for full citizenship protections to be granted to migrant workers. And the grand imam, who was at this meeting, also signed on.
1: Some people have worked and lived there for 20 years, more. Families have grown up. The document that was signed by the Pope and the grand imam advocates the granting of citizenship or the opening, the possibility of citizenship for people who are working Grown up, contribute to the good of the country, are good citizens, respect the laws, etc.
0: Do you think that's something that the leaders of the IEU would would listen to?
1: Well, it's very interesting. I I, I think there's a discussion going on. Well, that can be a first step. Yeah. And you know what the Pope says in terms of big problems? He says, we first of all start working together on things we can agree on. We work together. We build trust. And then once that is done, then we begin to look at the other issues. Because when you trust the other person, you can walk more of the road than if you don't trust the person.
0: So it's hard to tell whether the government will extend protections to the migrant workers in the UAE. But like most of the stories that we cover about slow changes in the church and in diplomacy that the Vatican's involved in, these small steps that are being taken aren't insignificant and they're often a sign of a bigger change that's happening behind the scenes. Some other details from the Pope's visit could be hinting that the UAE wants to start treating its religious minorities better. On Tuesday, the Pope celebrated Mass for what was the largest gathering of Christians ever on the Arabian Peninsula.
1: Here you had a significant gathering, the biggest, as you said, in the Arabian Peninsula in the 2000-year history of the Church. I think that the Authorities did everything possible to facilitate that people could go- attend this ceremony. They gave a day's holiday to all the workers in the private sectors who could get tickets to go. They provided buses for them to go there. The, the minister of tolerance and other officials of the uh, authorities of the government and 4,000 Muslims attended. This is unprecedented in the history of the church in this part of the world. Also the Muslims, that they could see it on the television.
0: Right, the state television rebroadcast it uh, for free, without charge to the stations. I think it would be naive of us not to acknowledge that some of these gestures could be just for show. But Jerry thinks that this mass genuinely did encourage the Catholics who attended it.
1: Well, the, the figures now we know that there were closer to 100, 150,000 uh, from 100 nationalities. Really, it was deeply moving because you saw the depth of the faith of these people. You saw what it meant to them to have the successor of Peter among them. He was giving them encouragement. He, his message was very simple. He said uh, he realized that they, that they don't, can't have citizenship today. But he says, "You be good people. You be meek. You work for peace. You don't get into arguments." He quoted Saint Francis, and they have, they were listened to him. You know, as a reporter going around, there are there are some very deep spiritual moments. Even though we're doing our job, uh, you get caught in uh, in in the atmosphere, and this was certainly one of them.
0: About an hour before the Pope left for his trip to the Arabian Peninsula, he publicly called for an end to the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, where a war that has been raging for four years has caused widespread famine and malnutrition and has displaced more than two million people. The Pope called on the international community and the parties involved to respect the recent accords agreed on in Sweden that might give the 10 million people who are near dying of starvation access to food. So far, the Saudi-led coalition that's backed by the U.S., the U.K., and France has refused to comply with these accords. The Pope has faced criticism before for not being willing to criticize the host countries of the nations that he's visiting. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, the significance of that. It seemed It seemed important to me that he was able to criticize the country that he was going to and then also you know, still be welcomed warmly there and still be productive in his visit. I'm talking here about the way he criticized both the Saudi coalition and the way he pushed the government to extend citizenship rights to migrant workers.
1: Yes, looking back on past trips, uh, people have criticized the Pope uh, for not speaking out publicly, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't spoken privately. Sure. And so there's a, there's a high level of ignorance of what goes on. Even we traveling with him sometimes don't know what has happened behind the scenes. And much later we find out. Right. Now, in this case, uh, the Pope had already spoken twice about the Yemen. He's quite concerned. This is perhaps one of the real big, maybe the major humanitarian crisis at this present moment.
0: Right. I think you wrote that this was his third, you know, plea for an end to this crisis in like seven months.
1: Last June. And then in January, when he spoke to the diplomatic corps. Right. And we learned on the plane last night that he did raise the question of the war in the, Yemen with, he said, some of the people he spoke to, and it's clear he's talking about the top leadership. That's really where the conversations were done. The people who take the decisions. And he said, and I found goodwill. There was a goodwill for the opening of peace processes. And he he repeated it twice. I found goodwill, and he said, specifically in terms of the Yemen. So these people are listening to the Pope. If they didn't want him, if they didn't want to listen to him, they wouldn't have invited him to the country. They went out of their way to give him really a royal welcome in, in a very big way. And you could see the body language, the care with which they approached him, the the friendliness with which they approached him, it signaled they were taking this man very seriously.
0: Yeah, Jerry, I wanted to ask you kind of a big picture question um, to close out the show, which was, you know, we saw the Pope taking... What seemed like kind of a a new strategy in some ways in this visit, right? he was He was maybe a little bit more critical of the nation that was hosting him, but he was also, you know working together with them despite the differences. Is this approach something that signifies a shift in the strategy with how the Vatican deals with? countries with Christian minorities, this this little more critical approach while still working together?
1: I don't read his approaches as that critical. The Pope is saying some very strong things. Sometimes he puts it a little more diplomatically. Sometimes he puts it slightly less. But he's not a man who mints words word, and he's not a man who comes in in one country and hits them on the head with a hammer and then goes into the other country with a kid glove. That's not the Pope.
0: So it doesn't appear that the Pope's more outspoken approach to this trip is indicative of a larger change in strategy for how the Vatican relates to Catholic minority countries. But the Pope's actions on this trip, his joint document with the Grand Imam, the blessing of the ground for the church and the mosque that will be side by side, and so on, do demonstrate his commitment to creating stronger bonds between Catholics and Muslims.
1: In the West, we've heard a lot about the clash of civilizations, and we've heard a lot about. Muslims being identified with violence and Christians having to join in a coalition against these violent people. The message that came through from Cairo when the Pope went there and came through very powerfully on Monday night from Abu Dhabi is that Christians and Muslims recognize each other as brothers, want to stand beside each other, respect each other, knowing that there are differences in terms of theology, but knowing also that they believe in one and the same God, they recognize each other as brothers and sisters, and they wish to cooperate together to stop the violence, to delegitimize those who are using religion to stoke up violence, to incite hatred, and to try to work together to ease the sufferings of the world and to restore uh, morality, a sense of moral values, a sense of compassion, a sense of mercy with justice in the world.
0: There was a lot from this visit that we didn't get to cover on the show. If you want to check out more of what happened on the Pope's trip to Abu Dhabi and on the plane conference back, visit americamagazine.org, where you can find all of our reporting. And before we go, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out about Inside the Vatican. Thanks. Inside the Vatican is produced by me, Colleen Dully. Our executive producer is Eric Sundra. Production assistance this week from Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Karen Freeman. Inside the Vatican is Mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio engineer is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media, I'm Colleen Dully with Gerard O'Connell. See you next week.